You're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find courses, resources and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I usually co-host this podcast each week with the very talented Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author extraordinaire. Her latest book is The Wolf's Howl, the second book in the Maven and Reeve mystery series, and it's available now in bookstores and online. Today, you're listening to one of our in-between episodes where we leave Alison to her authory adventures and we listen to a story session, just you, me, and our guest author of the week. In our story sessions, you'll hear the first chapter of a book that we recommend, read by the author along with some insights into their writing life and process. It's like having your own personal literary festival delivered directly to your ears. This week, I've chosen Echoes of War by Tanya Blanchard. I've been a big fan of Tanya's gorgeous historical fiction ever since her first best-selling novel, The Girl from Munich, which she published after attending a few of our courses here at the Australian Writers' Centre. She's since gone on to publish its sequel, Suitcase of Dreams, and another wartime novel, Letters from Berlin. And you can catch the first chapter of that in Story Sessions episode number 384. Echoes of War is her fourth novel, again published by Simon & Schuster, and I'm sure it's going to be another success. Here's the blurb. Calabria, Italy, 1936. In a remote farming village nestled in the mountains that descend into the sparkling Ionian Sea, young and spirited Giulia Talariti longs for something more. While she loves her home and her lively family, she would much rather follow in her nonna's footsteps and pursue her dream of becoming a healer. But as Mussolini's focus shifts to the war in Europe, civil unrest looms. Whispers of war are at every corner and her beloved village, once safe from the fascist agenda of the North, is now in very real danger. Caught between her desire to forge her own path and her duty to her family, Julia must draw on the passion in her heart and the strength of her conviction. Can she find a way to fulfil her dreams or will the echoes of war drown out her voice? As you'll hear in her introduction, Tanya has drawn on the experiences of her own family as the inspiration for this story. So here's Tanya reading from her latest book, Echoes of War. Hi, I'm Tanya Blanchard, and I'm the author of Echoes of War. Valerie asked me to record the answers to some questions before I narrate the first chapter. So here goes. What inspired me to write this story? Well, I was visiting my father a few years ago when I saw an old black and white photo that I'd never seen before. The picture was of a young man in military uniform. He looked so much like my father that I knew it had to be my grandfather, even though I'd heard that he'd been exempt from serving during World War II. My father confirmed that the photo was of my grandfather and told me that he had fought with the Royal Italian Army in the Italian wars with Abyssinia, modern-day Ethiopia, and in Albania, in the late 1930s prior to World War II. The thought of my grandfather at war in exotic Africa sparked my imagination and I was intrigued. I knew very little about Mussolini and fascist Italy or about my grandparents' life before they came to Australia. And I began to wonder what life might have been like for the people in the remote villages of southern Calabria in the 1930s and during World War II, just like my grandparents'. Question two, 
Can you describe your writing process? The ideas for my novels always come from family stories. Once I have a rough guide or the main heart of my story, I begin researching the historical period and I find where the big historical moments sit against the various parts of my story. And then as my research develops, I'm able to map out the major points, a bit like a skeleton. And then I begin writing, fleshing out the story as I go. Often I need to do further research while I'm writing to learn more about something particular or where I can't join the dots. And I have to imagine what the characters might have done or how they might have behaved while remaining authentic to the historical period. I tend to work five days a week to a weekly word count to keep moving the story forward. Most days I'll have some idea about what I'm going to write, but other days I have no idea what comes next. And that's where the real creativity happens. Question three. What are the most challenging aspects of writing this book? I think it would have to be coming up with and writing the fictional part of the storyline because I didn't have many family photos, documents or letters to reference and only snippets of family stories from my father and my aunt, often told to them by their parents and siblings, so I didn't have a lot of first-hand material to draw on. It took a lot more research to make sure I remained authentic to my family stories and to how life would have been in a small village in Calabria around those war years. Question four. What was the most rewarding aspect of writing this book? I have to say writing Julia's character. She's the main protagonist and she's feisty and spirited even though she adores her family. She still struggles against her strict traditional upbringing. She wants to live a big life and follow in her grandmother's footsteps as a healer despite the traditional expectations of her community. I really loved watching her transform from a rebellious girl to a young woman trying to find her place in the world. A self-assured woman who has the self-belief and strength to follow her own path and her dreams in a world dominated and ruled by men. I also really loved writing about the ancient historical background, the rich and diverse culture and the incredible landscapes of Calabria. It's a really fascinating and special place. Question five. What are your top three tips to aspiring writers? Well, number one is believe in yourself. Write what you love and what you're passionate about. Number two, keep to a word to a word count, a weekly word count, so that you get the first draft finished. Number three, don't go back and edit until you've finished the entire manuscript. Otherwise, if you're anything like me, who wants to constantly edit and make what I've written better, you'll never get it finished. Okay, now I'm going to narrate the first chapter of my book, Echoes of War. February 1936, Calabria, southern Italy. I followed the nun in a haze of exhaustion. I had been trying to memorise the turns along the corridors of the monastery, but when we finally stopped, I realised I was utterly lost. Here we are, said the nun, opening the door to my cell. You'll find it has everything you need. She smiled encouragingly. It will feel like home before you know it. Grazie, sorella, I said in a small voice. One of the sisters will take you to see Mother Superior in the morning. Buona notte, she said, before turning back down the long corridor. I raised my lantern and surveyed the tiny room. A wave of loneliness overcame me and I burst into tears. 
I'd never been away from home before and I already missed my family. The single bed against the whitewashed wall was covered with a sheepskin spread, with another sheepskin on the stone floor underneath the narrow window. The plain cell was more than I was used to. I'd never had the luxury of privacy and freedom of my own space before. But it wasn't home. How could I ever sleep without the comfort of my sister Paola's warm body next to me and the soft sleepy noises of my older sister Teresa in the bed next to us? I sat heavily on the bed. I was so far from everyone I loved and it was my own fault. My family would be celebrating the last night before Teresa's wedding, enjoying a specially cooked meal. I could picture them laughing, singing and dancing to the music of fiddles and accordions as our neighbours and friends joined in. The view of the village from our hillside farm, about a 15-minute walk from our home, flashed through my mind. The tumble of red terracotta roofs and white lime-washed walls on the river flats. Luzzano was a small village situated on the very tip of the toe of Italy, just a stone's throw from the island of Sicily. The Bruzzano River ran right alongside the, the town, moving slowly towards the east coast, while the Aspromonte Mountains towered around it, stretching to the very edges of Calabria's coastline, like guardians. A wave of fresh tears turned into gasping sobs as I collapsed into the comfort of the sheepskin. Two days earlier, Papa had summoned me to the dining room table, his face like thunder. At 42, he was fit and strong from all the work on the land. And despite the long hours and constant worry over whether we'd have enough food to keep us going for another year, he didn't look his age. His hair was still thick, with only a few strands of grey that glinted against the black curls. He often told us that his grey hairs had sprouted because he had to provide for five children. And when I looked at Mama, who did, who did the most for us, three years younger than Papa, but her hair was streaked with grey, I thought that maybe he was right. Vincenzo was the oldest of us, at 21. Then Teresa, a year younger, Paola, 18, was nearly two years older than me. And then there was Antonio, who was 14 but I was the one who gave him the most grief. Did you look after the sheep yesterday for Vincenzo? He asked as he finished off his cafe a latte. No, Papa, I whispered standing before him in bare feet on the tiles. But I had covered for Vincenzo, who was supposed to look after the sheep on our 30-acre farm. As shepherd, it was his job to keep them safe from wild animals, especially wolves. But he wanted to visit a girl, his latest amore, in the village before he left for Africa with the army. He'd taken his best friends, Stefano and Angelo Modaferi, cousins who lived in the next village, with him to act as lookout. Although the cousins were just like brothers to us, spending as much time at our house while we were growing up as Vincenzo did at theirs, sometimes I wasn't sure I liked them, despite their jokes and clowning around. They could be dismissive, arrogant and annoying, pulling our hair, taking our biscotti and refusing to let us play football because we were girls. But I didn't mind helping Vincenzo because when I did, I felt like I was part of a world that was carefree and wild. 
I longed for the freedoms the boys had. Papa stared at me, his dark eyes usually filled with kindness for his daughters, hard as obsidian. Don't lie to me, Julia. I'm not. I knew how much trouble Vincenzo would be and if Papa found out he was sneaking away rather than doing his work. Papa had caught me telling lies more than a few times, but there was no way he could know the truth this time. I'd been so careful, and even though one of the boys from the adjoining farm had come across to play cards and offered me my first cigarette, I'd only taken one puff before giving it back. Mamma mia! He slammed the table. Then who did? Because he was seen in the village when he was supposed to be with the sheep. If anything had happened to even one of them, I flinched and swallowed hard. Whoever thinks they saw him must be mistaken, I lied. I was in too deep now to come clean. Testadora, Papa rumbled, his hands pressed together as if asking for God's help. You told your mother you were going to help Zia Francesca at the Trattoria, but I was talking to Signora Lippri at the post office this morning, and she said she saw you walking the opposite direction, towards the farm, and worse still, that her nephew saw you in the field. He shook his head. I don't know where to begin. It's bad enough that you were smoking cigarettes, but you were alone with a boy and you're still lying to me? You know how much I hate lying. I'm so very disappointed in you. My heart fell. But Papa, he put his hand up to stop me. Basta, enough, Julia. You will go nowhere until I'm satisfied that you've learnt your lesson. For a girl your age, you should know better. I thought you'd learnt that after the incident with the bicycle. I dropped my gaze. I'd taken the bicycle without asking to borrow a white blouse I was supposed to wear as part of my uniform for the weekly fascist parade. I'd hidden my blouse, which had a large mudstain and a tear from chasing Antonio after the last parade. The only problem was that I'd got a flat tyre and on the way home, Mumma had found out about the blouse and the tyre cost a lot more for Papa to have fixed. I've indulged you and tolerated your impetuous ways for far too long. You have to learn obedience and your place in this village because this is where you belong. I saw red. I'll never belong here, I shouted. And why do I have to do what I'm told when the boys do whatever they want? Because it's the way things are done. If you don't learn some respect and you keep on like this, nobody will want you. I don't care. Damn the way things are done. Why would I want to be stuck here in a dead-end village with people who can't see beyond their noses? Papa got up so quickly, his chair crashed to the ground. I have a good mind to find you a husband who will tame your wild ways and teach you respect. I'd rather die than marry anyone you want me to. We were nose to nose. Go to your room, bellowed Papa, and don't come out until you're ready to see sense. Well, that would be never, I screamed, turning on my heel and rushing to my bedroom slamming the door behind me. The memory of that fight still made my blood boil. Sobbing, I buried my face in the sheepskin and pounded my pillow with fury until I was spent. I took a shuddering breath and stared at the shadows the lantern made on the cell wall. I was here now and had to make the best of it. Somehow the Madonna had heard my prayers and given me an opportunity to do what I'd always dreamed of. I'd finished school nearly two years earlier, at the age of 14. 
At first, I helped Papa on the farm with Paula. As well as tending our flock of sheep, we planted wheat and had an olive grove, a small, olive, a small orchard of citrus trees and some grapevines for wine. We raised pigs, chickens and goats and had our milking cow Bella and our donkey Benito, named after Il Duque, Prime Minister Mussolini. I helped milk the sheep and prepared the milk for, for cheese making, threshed wheat at harvest time to separate the grain to be milled into bread and pasta flour and pick olives to be crushed for oil, grapes for wine and the citrus fruits. I never seemed to do my chores as well as Paola and I usually disappeared as soon as I could to spend time with my nonna Mariana, mamma's mother, who was a maga, a traditional folk healer. I'd always been interested in healing and I loved walking with her as she picked wild herbs from the surrounding hills and explained how to find them and what they were good for. I enjoyed watching her in her busy clinic, which she ran from the front of her room, choosing herbs to treat someone's illness. But spending time with Nonna was another thing Papa had forbidden, after his younger sister had died following treatment from a woman who called herself a maga, but was really a strega, who practised witchcraft. He never went as far as stopping Nonna from visiting us at home, because he knew it would break Mama's heart. He reluctantly accepted her place in our family on the condition that she never treat any of us. Even though Papa yelled at me time after time and punished me for disobeying him, I continued to sneak away to Nonna's whenever I could. Finally, he decided that I'd be better off working at his sister's trattoria, where I could be kept busy helping Zia Francesca prepare and cook meals. Whenever I wasn't needed at the restaurant, I was helping Paola on the farm. Papa didn't realise if Francesca gave me freedoms he would never allow. After her customers were gone, she often let me look through glamorous magazines that came from the big cities of the north like Milano. The women in these magazines were dressed so differently to me, in clothes that looked like they were designed for lives of purpose and independence. There had even been an advertisement for women to join the Red Cross as volunteer nurses. Could women become more than wives and mothers? forever controlled by their husbands and fathers, despite the Catholic rules and the fascist teachings we had been drummed, we had drummed into us at school? If the women in these magazines could choose how they lived, perhaps I could find a way to do the same. I wasn't going to live my life like a prisoner. After my fight with Papa, I decided to run away. I would join the Red Cross in Reggio and become a nurse rather than marry the husband Papa would choose for me, trapping me in the village. Reggio, the biggest city in Calabria and the capital of our province, was over 40 miles away on the opposite west coast. I'd packed my few belongings and was walking the road to the coast where I'd meet the bus to Reggio when Zia Francesca caught up with me. She begged me to come back before anyone saw me, telling me she had an idea to get me what I wanted. Back at the trattoria, I waited in the kitchen making sugo for the evening's menu while Zia Francesca, Mamma and Nonna Mariana talked in hushed whispers. What are we going to do? Mamma whispered in panic. Manaja, I know she's strong-willed, but I never thought she'd do something like this. If Andrea finds out... She's safe now, Gabriella, said Nonna soothingly. But she can't stay here, and I'm worried that when she, if she comes home, she'll do something stupid or try to run away again the next time she and Andrea fight. Hearing Mamma's deep sigh, I hunched over the pot, ashamed I'd disappointed her. 
She was right. I couldn't go back home. If Papa found out I'd tried to run away, my life was as good as over. Family honour meant everything, and my actions would only bring shame on my family. And even if he didn't find out what I'd done, I could never forgive him for what he'd said. The memory of that morning flared my anger, hot and explosive once more. I took a breath to calm myself. Allora, so, I have an idea, said Zia Francesca. Maybe we can solve this problem and at the same time get the education that Julia needs to fulfil her desire to become the type of healer that Andrea would approve of. Basta, said Mamma abruptly. We've been through this before. Andrea won't hear of it. I crept to the door to hear better and peered at the three women, their dark and grey hair heads together. It was reassuring to see Nonna Mariana, her long hair plaited into braids and twisted onto the back of her head. She was always a steadfast and calming presence. Mariana, didn't you once tell me that you know the renowned herbalist Fla Fortunato? asked Francesca. She was immaculate as always in a tailored skirt and blouse that Teresa no doubt made for her from fabric sourced in Milano. Her long hair was parted in the middle and swept up in a fashionable knot at the back of her head, no strand out of place. I touched my own hair briefly. Like hers, it was thick and black, but unruly and hastily tied into a braid, loose pieces snaking down my back and around my face. See, si, said Nonna, her eyebrows raised in surprise. And that he now resides at the monastery of the of the Madonna where you know the abbess, Zia continued. With your connections, Julia could go and study herbalism under the tutelage of the monks. I was taken aback by this new revelation. Perhaps there was more to Nonda than I knew. What do you think? Zia asked, looking from my grandmother to my mother. I felt sure she was holding her breath just as I was. Mama shook her head. Do you really think it's possible? She asked. Her curly brown hair spread around her head like a halo. At least I knew where I got my unmanageable locks from. Nonna squeezed Mama's hand, her luminous green eyes beseeching. I had inherited Nonna's eyes, less common in this part of Calabria. Julia has a gift from God, and it would be an affront to Jesus and to the Madonna if she was not allowed to develop her talents. She shrugged an apology. Fra Fortunato's knowledge of herbal medicine is second to none, not just of our local plants, but of other Italian and European remedies too. And if Julia's half as good as I think she'll be, she'll make a decent living. People will come from all over the region to see her once her reputation spreads. Butterflies fluttered in my stomach at her words. I'd often wondered about the strong connection I had with her and how we just knew what was wrong with somebody when they weren't feeling well. Calabria was an ancient place, and its history of healing dated back thousands of years. Many rituals and traditions were passed down, generation to generation, mother to daughter, and most Magi all used the old ways, a combination of herbal treatments, common sense remedies, superstition, and the power of faith in God, Jesus, the Madonna, and all the saints of the Catholic Church to help people feel better. Nonna carried on the traditions that many locals expected her to use. As she explained to me, there were many ways to treat illness, but if, pa if a patient didn't believe in what you were doing, it was much harder, if not impossible, to heal them. But what about Andrea? 
said Mumma, pulling her hand away in frustration. He'll never allow it. Mumma had happily given up any thought of being a healer to marry Papa. Her passion didn't run as deep as mine and Nonna's, even though she had talent. Nonna's world was the realm of women and magic, unfathomable and uncontrollable, something Papa didn't understand. But what upset Papa the most was Nonna's treatment of people affected by Il Malocchio, the evil eye. He believed she resorted to witchcraft to treat such, such cases. Dear Francesca nodded. I've thought about that. She put her head close to Mama and Nonna, even though they were alone. Andrea doesn't have to know that she's studying, only that she's learning how to behave from the nuns. Mama shook her head, eyes wide with alarm. Think about it, Gabriella, said Nonna firmly. This could be a good opportunity to give Julia and Andrea time apart. Give them a chance to calm down and for Julia to think about her future with a level head without the worry that she'll run away again. Andrea gets what he wants too, a disciplined daughter. Mm, I wasn't sure I, I wasn't sure how I felt about the idea of going to the monastery. It was an isolated place high in the mountains, not too far from here. The thought of joining the Red Cross had been filled with adventure. Spending my days with monks and nuns sounded dull in comparison. But I knew I'd, I'd go anywhere to learn any form of healing. And if it took me away from Papa and his anger, even better. But what happens when she comes home, Mama said. Since she's not ready for marriage yet, once she's gained skills in a reputable manner, she can bring in a proper income for the family. Surely Andrea can't object to that. If Nonna thought this was a good idea, then maybe it was a way to get what I wanted. A purpose for my life besides marriage and children. I want Julia to be happy too, but it's just not possible, said Mama, her voice rising in desperation. She dropped her head into her hands and my heart dropped too. Of course, it was too good to be true. This is a perfect opportunity to help her do the work she was born to do, dear Francesca said. If somebody saw her on the road and my brother finds out, especially after he caught her lying again, the monastery's far enough away to keep her safe and they'll both have time to come to their senses. She hesitated. I know it means deceiving, Andrea, but this is Julia's future. All that matters to my brother is taming Julia's wild ways and if she learns a craft in the process, then surely he'll be happy she's bringing in an income, just like Teresa. Zia looked pleased with herself and I had to admit that I couldn't see a single hole in her argument. My sister Teresa always did what was expected of her, and Papa had supported her wish to become a dressmaker. I wasn't sure about being tamed by the nuns, but if it meant Papa would let me work as a healer... Mama sighed. I want Julia to have a chance, but we'd have to make a plan to convince him. Then it settled said Nonna Mariana, smiling broadly and sagging back into her chair with relief. We'll arrange for her to go as soon as possible, otherwise who knows what she'll do next. What about Julia? asked Mama. We should make sure she's happy about this. Oh, she knows, said Zia Francesca with a smirk. She's been listening at, this, at the door this whole time and hasn't been stirring my sugo. Papa had agreed to send me to the monastery after Mama and Zia Francesca spoke to him about an opportunity to work there that had become available. Hard work and discipline were all I needed, they reminded him, 
not the threat of a husband. The night air seeping through the stone walls of the cell was enough to force me from my stupor. I changed out of my dress and into my nightgown, slipping between the coarse sheets on the small bed, desperate to get warm. If only I was still in the kitchen at the trattoria, surrounded by the rich aromas, talking and laughing with Zia Francesca, warm, happy and content. My stomach grumbled loudly. I knew I should be grateful for being here, but I was finding it hard to be thankful. I missed my mother, brothers and sisters, Nonna and Zia Francesca's cheerful disposition and optimism. I still couldn't believe I wasn't at Teresa's wedding. Had it been only this morning that Zia drove me to the village at the bottom of the mountain pass, where Fra Giacomo, a monk from the monastery, waited for me with his cart loaded with supplies? Forza! Take this opportunity with both hands, Mama had said as we parted. Make us proud. Study hard and do what the nuns and monks ask of you. When you come home, what happened between you and your father will be forgotten. Papa had barely looked at me as he muttered a gruff goodbye before he'd left for the farm that morning, which made me even more angry. He might forget, but I won't. Mama touched my cheek. He loves you and wants the best for you, but he doesn't understand what it's like to be a young woman with her life just beginning. You're passionate and stubborn like he is. Just remember, if we're smart, we can get what we want, even in a man's world. But you have to be sensible. We rarely get second chances. My father might think that this was a way to subdue my wild ways, to remind me of my responsibilities as a young woman. But I saw this as an opportunity to improve my life. But only with my first sight of the monastery, as the sun began to fall behind the mountain peaks, had the enormity of what I'd done hit me. Home. There's no better sight. Fra Giacomo had said with a sigh. Home. I had never been so far from my home before. How was I going to manage among strangers without the love and support of my family for seven months? Tears fell down my cheeks as I huddled under the covers. Tomorrow I would meet Mother Superior and I needed to make a good impression to prove that I deserved to be here. Without her support... I'd never last long enough to learn all I needed to to become a herbalist and change my path. Wow, another exciting and compelling drama from Tanya. I know it's going to be as successful as her previous novels. I really love how practical Tanya's tips are. Write what you love, stick to a word count, and finish the first draft. Her combination of practicality and creativity are why she is so successful as an author. You can hear Tanya talk more about her writing process in episode 278 of the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast, which you can find on the Australian Writers Centre website or your favourite podcast player. And if you'd like to achieve your own publishing success one day, why not enrol in a course at the Australian Writers' Centre, just like Tanya did. Here's her story. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor, giving you personal feedback each week. 
Have a listen to Tanya Blanchard. It was really important for me to become a published author, particularly because of this story that I've written, The Girl from Munich. It's a story really close to my heart. It's a story of my German grandmother and growing up during World War II and what happened to her. So the fact that I was published with her story, first and foremost, is something very exciting and very meaningful to me. The course has had such an impact on my life and on my writing, on my life, because I've always dreamed of one day becoming published and never imagined it was possible. But after doing the course, I realised that it was something that was definitely attainable and I was able to work towards that. As far as my writing goes, it improved my writing dramatically. It gave me so much more confidence that I could write. I had the skills behind me to do it now and that meant that I could work faster and harder and, and just get the work done and I've got so many more ideas of things that I can do now and I just can't wait to, to write more. I write full time now. It's absolutely amazing that I'm able to do that. I would absolutely recommend one of the courses to anyone. If you're a writer or aspiring writer, go and do it. I wouldn't be sitting here without these courses that I've done. The skills that I've learnt have helped me along my journey and I'm now sitting here with a published book in my hands and I never thought that this was possible and it's because of these courses. Take it from me. Go and do it. You won't regret it. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Thanks for listening to this special episode of So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and courses at writerscentre.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writer Centre. Connect with us on social media at writercentreau, on Twitter and Instagram, and join our free podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Both Alison and I will be back to our regular programming in your next episode. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time.